Be in Acts chapter 1, the second half of chapter 1 this morning. We started a new sermon series last Sunday going through the book of Acts. And this is where we find ourselves today. Uh, if during the week, if you're thinking, I want to read my Bible, I need to study my Bible, where do I start? Read through Acts. I encourage you to begin reading through the book of Acts over the next several months as we study this, building up to around the month of December, and then we'll take a break from Acts. Uh, so I titled this sermon, Decision Making and Spiritual Maturity. Uh, we have to make decisions every day. Sometimes those are big decisions, sometimes they're small decisions, but how many of you have already had to make some decisions today, and it's only 9.40 in the morning? Anybody? How many of you have had to, you've already had to make a decision today? Raise your hand if you have. Okay. You had to make a decision whether or not you're going to brush your teeth, what you're going to wear to get up and to go to church. You've already had to make several decisions, and it's early in the morning. Every day before I leave the house, I have to make decisions. I have to decide whether or not I'm going to keep pressing snooze on my phone or if I'm actually going to get out of bed. Anybody else do that? Some days I have to decide how I'm going to get caffeine in my bloodstream before I can get out of bed because I, I'm not a morning person. I have to decide what I'm going to eat. Well, there's several decisions, what I'm going to wear. We make these decisions early in our day. I decide what I'm going to do, what I'm going to prioritize for the day. I have a to-do list. All these decisions I'm making are early in the morning. And then on my way to work... I have to make a decision every day when I come up to this stoplight. Does this look familiar to anybody? This is when you're coming up Teneryville Road, and then you Pine Tree crosses Teneryville at this stoplight. I have to make a decision whether or not to turn right onto Pine Tree Road and then immediately take a left onto Dundee, or to just go straight through the light and only take one turn, take a left. Does anybody else come up to this stoplight and have to make this decision? You know how difficult this is for me every day, and I make this drive multiple times a day. If you're, if you're not familiar with this intersection, you may not know what I'm talking about, uh, but it's almost like a race. If you turn right and then you hit the green light, you could turn left and beat the people that stayed straight. And so every day, I mean, it's a matter of 30 seconds to a minute difference. But that's a big decision. So all throughout the day, I'm making these small decisions that, that make up I guess, the course of my day. Somebody said, I read somewhere this week, that it add up about 1.75 million decisions and what you get is your life. The decisions you make in, in life, the small decisions, the big decisions, that makes up what your life is going to be. And throughout the stages of life, as we age, as we change, we're going to have to make big decisions, and these decisions will impact our future. So if you can think back to a time when you were younger, you know, in 2003, I had to make a decision that I did want to go to college. I made a decision that I wanted to go to one of the Christian universities that's a part of the, our brotherhood here. And so I decided I was going to wind up either going to Harding or to ACU. And I didn't know which one. I had trouble deciding, so I applied to both. And I was accepted to both schools. And both schools thought I was coming. Harding was starting a week before ACU, and in August of 2003, I still did not know where I was going to go to college, and the day that I was supposed to report to Harding, I wasn't packed up yet, so I decided, I guess I'm going to ACU. 
And I'm not kidding. That's how the decision was made. I, I mean, I spent a lot of time praying about it. I made pros and cons lists. I talked with people. I even listed out all the people that I knew that went to Harding and all the people that went to ACU and then marked through the people that I thought were a little bit weird. So then I was trying to tally it all up. And it was just, it just came down to the timing. So instead of headed uh, east on Interstate 30, I went west. But that decision changed the course of my life. I think that's why making decisions is difficult for me because I know that once a decision is made, that's going to impact the trajectory of my life. We make decisions when we decide what we want to get our degree in, where we want to work. Uh, we have to make a decision. Are we going to take that job or that job or apply here? Are we going to move here or move there? These are big decisions we have to make. We made a decision back in March to buy a house, and that's a big decision to me. So I research it. I go look at it. I look at it online. I drive by the neighborhood at nighttime and probably creep the neighbors out, but I'm scoping it out. I'm doing my research because, to me, that's a big decision. We had to make a decision to leave one job and come here. You know, we make these decisions throughout our life, and they're important. We don't take them lightly because they impact our life's direction. And in Acts chapter 1, where we find ourselves this morning is the apostles and the 120 people that are meeting together after Jesus has ascended to the heaven, they are already faced with a decision. And we're going to see how, as individuals and as a community, they go about making this decision. A guy named Walter Kaufman coined a phrase called decidophobia. Decidophobia means we're afraid of making decisions, or what he really says is we are afraid of the anxiety that goes along with what if we're wrong. Does anybody struggle with decidophobia? Obviously, I do. I can be an indecisive person. But decision-making is an indispensable part of character formation and spiritual maturity. And so that's what we see right Right at the very beginning, right before this early church is formed, they have to make some decisions. And this is going to impact how they mature as a community. So let's start in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 15. We'll read 15 through 19 to get us started this morning. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. <clears throat> Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit, through David, foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And then, in parentheses here in verse 18 and 19, Luke adds this. Now this man, referring to Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness for betraying Jesus, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. This became known, this is why we didn't include this part in the scripture reading this morning. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field called in their language, Hakadelma, or something like that, that is the field of blood. So Luke gives us this little side note in verse 18 and 19, what happened to Judas. And if you, if you read Matthew 27, verse 3 through 10 around there, Matthew gives us his account of what happened to Judas so I guess we, you know, we kind of, instead of harmonizing the accounts, we just look at the way Luke records it, look at the way Matthew records it, and we get the idea of what happened to Judas. 
But backing up to verse 15, right away, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, they have some decisions to make, and decision number one is who's going to be the leader? Jesus is gone at this point. He's promised the Holy Spirit is coming, but somebody's got to step it up. Somebody's got to give them some direction. Somebody's got to be the spokesperson. So the decision is made, I guess, just naturally, maybe organically, amongst the group is that Peter is going to take the lead. Peter becomes the leader of the group of 120 meeting in this upper room. And when I read that, when I read that Peter is the one that steps up, Peter is the one that addresses the group, Peter is the one that speaks, it reminds me that God is bigger than our bad decisions. God is bigger than our bad decisions because just a little over a month before this, what was Peter doing? Denying Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus. He lied and he ran away crying because he denied Jesus. And now just a little over a month later, he's taken the lead after Jesus has gone. He stepped it up. So there's, we're starting to see this change in Peter. But one of the things we see about God is that God is bigger than our bad decisions. Peter doesn't have to live with this shame for the rest of his life. He's able to move forward and be forgiven God is a God of second chances. Peter gets a second chance. He's redeemed. He's reinstated into this community. He's forgiven. And that starts with Jesus. And then the rest of the apostles in the group meeting there, not only do they forgive Peter, but they accept him back and they accept him as the leader here. A guy named John Ortberg is a name that you've probably heard me say before. He's a famous Christian author. I've read all of his books. And he, a long time ago when he started in ministry, he was an associate minister at a church, and he had the opportunity to preach. So he was excited about it. He prepared his lesson. He stood up on a Sunday morning for the first time ever to preach. And a few minutes into his lesson, he opened his eyes, and people were standing over him, fanning him. He had passed out in the middle of his very first sermon. So embarrassed and filled with shame, he left the stage. And many months go by, and the preacher asked him if he wanted a second chance. So he wanted to overcome this fear, and he said, yes, I will, I will do it. I'm, I'm ready. I'm prayed up. I'm, I'm ready to go. It's not going to happen again. So he stood up for the second time to preach. And about five minutes into his sermon, he started feeling really warm. And then he said he started feeling dizzy and then fell over again. His second sermon on a Sunday morning and the second time he's passed out. So almost a year later, the preacher's going to be gone and they say, do you want to preach? But we can find somebody else. So they're, they're trying to give him the out. But it, this shame, this, this embarrassment had kind of come over him. And he's like, no, I've got to face my fear. I've got to do this. And so he stood up for his third chance at preaching and thankfully, the third time he didn't pass out, but he said he did notice that they had changed the stage and added some padded carpet on the stage. So <laughs> if he passed out again, it would reduce the risk of injury. He got a second and a third chance. And I thank God that we are given second and third chances. That we are, we're not defined by our bad decisions, but we have grace and we have forgiveness. And we see that in Peter here as he takes the lead. But one of the main themes here in this part of Acts chapter 1 is Judas. Because they feel the need to replace Judas to keep that number 
12. And we know from the Gospels that Judas also made a bad decision, just like Peter did. But Judas couldn't live with his bad decision. And according to Matthew 27, Judas made another bad decision. And instead of trying to face it, instead of trying to move on, Judas made the decision to take his own life. So when I read through the text, I always just think, yep, that was Judas. That's what he did. And I was looking back over my old notes when I took the, the book of Acts at ACU. I mentioned that last week. And I had jotted down in my notes, there's sadness in the text. Because that's what my teacher had said, and I didn't really think much about it. I was just writing down what he was saying. And I told you that I read the book of Acts in the early 2000s, and it changed my life. And now I read the book of Acts in 2019, and I'm at a different stage of life. So these stories are hitting me in a different way. And I read through this, and I read through this situation with Judas, and I, and I read back through that there's sadness in the text. And it hits me different. There is sadness. Judas was their brother. Judas was their friend. Judas was with them up and down the road for over three years. And Judas made a decision, and now Judas is no longer with them. So if I imagine this scene taking place somewhere in an upper room, maybe a courthouse or courtyard type setting where it's large enough to fit 120 people, and Peter addresses the crowd, and when he mentions Judas, I can almost picture Peter with tears in his eyes and maybe his voice quivers a little bit because he's lost a good friend. So their first decision is they know that somebody has to become the leader and then decision number two is they know they need to replace Judas. I'm going to read verse 20 through 25 now. Peter says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead become desolate and let there be no one to live in it. And let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also known as Justice, so he has three names, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So more decision making here, and they, have, they know that the decision is made. Judas needs to be replaced. There are 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel, that number 12 is important. It's not going to be as important as the book of Acts goes on. But here they know they've made the decision he needs to be replaced. And so in verse 20, uh, part of the argument that Peter gives is he quotes two different random passages. One from Psalm 69 verse 25 and the other from Psalm 109 verse 8. And he says here's the reason why we need to replace Judas is because of what's written in the book of Psalms. Earlier this week on a Tuesday morning, I, I woke up before I got out of bed. You know, Jessica hadn't brought me my coffee yet, so I was sitting there really tired. I'm just joking. We, we take turns bringing coffee to each other. But I, I was reading through this. I read through Psalm 69. I read through Psalm 109, just reflecting on the text. And all I could think was, never in a million years 
would I read through this and think, ah, that's about Judas. Because when David originally wrote these psalms, it does not seem like he has it, he has Judas in mind, he has this prophecy in mind. So we look at what Peter's quoting here, and my first question is, is Peter not taking this out of context? Like, where does he get these two psalms from? And if you read through, especially the first seven or eight chapters in the book of Acts, when they're dealing with mainly Jewish people, they do a lot of Scripture quoting because the Scriptures were very important to them. They were people of the book. So Peter is using the Bible to show them we need to replace Judas. It's just, where does he get these two random passages from? And you think about where he got it from. He he was enlightened by his teacher. He was taught these things by Jesus. If you were to go back, remember it's Luke-Acts, so Luke writes Luke and Acts. So if you looked at Luke chapter 24, when Jesus is on the road talking with the two disciples, he's teaching them, he's explaining to them from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, how Jesus fulfills all of it. So I imagine during these 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching Peter how to read the Bible. They get to read the Bible with Jesus. And it's like he reinterprets it for them through the lens of Christ. He gives them a deeper meaning, God's original intent. So I imagine when Peter quotes these two Psalms in verse 20, he knows what he's talking about because Jesus taught him to quote these two Psalms. So they give two people. I don't know how they decided between Justice or Sabbath or Joseph, whatever this guy's name is, or three names, and Matthias. How they narrowed it down to those two, I don't know. But they choose two guys. And then we see in verse 24 and 25 the second prayer in the book of Acts. I mentioned last week that they are praying people. In verse 14... After Jesus ascends, they all come together, and they're constantly praying. And in Luke and in Acts, prayer is really important. So this is the second recorded prayer. I challenged you last week to eat, pray, and tell someone, to share a meal with somebody you need to reach out to, uh, to tell them about Jesus or tell them something that, that you've been learning in your own Bible study, and to pray with someone, just like we see people praying all throughout the book of Acts. And here they're praying again, and their prayer is, Lord, you know everybody's hearts, so show us who you have chosen to replace Judas. That's their prayer. And then we get to verse 26, the last verse in this chapter. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So there's decision number three in this text that we're looking at this morning, is they have to decide how they're going to choose a replacement. They've already decided they need to replace Judas. Now the decision is made is, how do we go about deciding that? This is where the potential of decidophobia comes in, or being indecisive. We as human beings, we like to choose sides, so a part of me thinks, I wonder if people in the room were saying, I'm with Matthias, and some people are like, no, I'm with the guy with three names, and and maybe they're campaigning, maybe they're taking votes, maybe they're giving their chance to speak, and I, you know, I'm not sure how it goes down, but they choose these two guys, they pray about it, and then they cast lots. Like, that seems a bit odd. 
mean, wouldn't it be more convenient if God would have spoke? Choose Matthias. And then they would know, okay, God just spoke, and he said, choose Matthias. They don't ever get that voice. So through all the prayer and all the decision-making, they cast lots. That's not something we're very familiar with. It's almost like flipping a coin, Matthias, your heads, other guy, your tails, and we'll see where it lands. You know, casting lots is something we see in the Old Testament, not something we see in the New Testament very often. In fact, we don't see casting lots beyond this story here in Acts chapter 1. So this isn't an encouragement when you have a big decision to make to go cast lots, whatever that would be. But this is how they made the decision. This is how they went about choosing, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he becomes the original twelfth man. So it seems like a really important decision until you read the rest of the Bible, and then you see that Matthias is never mentioned again. So this guy becomes popular. He has his, his moment of fame, and then it seems like he's gone. Now, I'm sure he played an important role in the ministry. We just don't read much about him. So the number 12 is what was important to them. But what I find really interesting in this is that of all the things that Jesus taught his disciples— teaching them which scriptures to use and how to use it, teaching them about the kingdom of God, telling them about the Holy Spirit that's coming on them, all the things that Jesus taught, especially in those 40 days in between his resurrection and the ascension, apparently Jesus didn't tell them, choose Matthias. Why not? Out of all the things that Jesus could have taught them, don't you think he could have made it easier on them by saying, by the way, you need to replace Judas and here's who I have chosen. So why would Jesus not just tell him that? I think it's because decision-making and going about the whole process of learning to choose well helps us grow as human beings. It's about character formation. It's about maturing as disciples, and not just as individuals, but as a church. Learning to come together and come to an agreement and discern and learn together, pray together. And I think the reason Jesus doesn't give them the answer before he leaves is because he knows this is a part of their development. At our church, we say we want to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. So maturing followers of Jesus is important to us. So decision-making, learning to make decisions, that's important. We're not always going to get that voice from heaven that says, do this exactly. Why? Probably because God wants us to grow and grow through the process. How do you go about making decisions? About a decade ago, I had a really important decision to make. I had two job opportunities. Both were in ministry, but they were very different from each other. And I did not know what to do. I was torn between the two. I prayed about it a lot. I did my pros and cons list again. I talked to good friends and, and family members, and I was just waiting for that moment of revelation. Here's what you need to do. You have two options. Do this. And I never got it. So I emailed a, a good friend of mine who's a, a mentor, and I explained the situation. I said, what do you think I should do? And I was just hoping he would give me an answer. And I waited, and a day went by, and then finally he responded and he said, hey, sounds like you have two good opportunities. Either way, you're doing kingdom work. Go with your heart. And I wrote back and said, you were supposed to choose for me. You didn't do that. 
But there was something about his response that freed me up to really make a wise decision. Because the way I was looking at it was it's almost like God had given me two doors, door A and door B. And if you choose the wrong door, the rest of your life, the path is off and you're doomed forever. But what he was saying is, either way, those ministry opportunities are good opportunities. And either way, you're doing kingdom work. Either way, wherever you go, you're going to be able to love God and love others and spread the gospel so you just choose. So once he kind of gave me that relief of trying to do the exact will of God and know exactly what to do, I made a decision and I went with it. And now, in hindsight, because hindsight's twenty twenty, I can look back and say, I made the right decision. I know for a fact I did. But in the moment, it's not always that easy. Why? Because that's how we grow. That's how we develop. That's how we mature. As we learn to choose well. We learn to put the right people in our life that can give us advice. We learn to seek God through His Word, just like the apostles were doing. We learn to spend time in prayer. We learn to pray with others so that we can be wise decision makers. And that's what I think Jesus was teaching this community early on in Acts chapter 1. Learning to choose well. Learning to grow spiritually. Now, in your life, you're going to be faced with some big decisions. Some of you are going to have to decide whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. Some of you may have to make the decision whether or not you want to be baptized into Christ. Sometimes you have to make decisions whether or not you're going to continue to follow Jesus and be faithful. You have to decide how you're going to lead your family. Those are big decisions, but every day we have to make decisions smaller decisions, or they seem like smaller decisions, but they have big implications. And if I was just being honest with you today, and I'm not going to try to speak into every situation, but some of you are going to go home, and throughout the rest of the day, you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to use your TV or your device to look at something you know you shouldn't be looking at. Or you're going to have to decide to put up some barriers to walk away from that temptation. Some of you young people, you may have to decide this week, are you going to cheat on a test? Are you going to be honest? We have to decide whether we're going to fess up and be honest about something or continue to hide it. We have to decide whether or not we're going to love people and genuinely love them or gossip about them and hurt them. These seem like small decisions, but they have big implications. And when we learn to choose well in the small things, that prepares us for the big decisions. And in Acts chapter 1, they learn to discern together and to choose well in something that really was kind of a small thing because God was preparing them for battles ahead that were much bigger. And as the book of Acts goes on, they have some really big decisions they have to make, and God has been preparing them and maturing them along the way. This morning, I encourage you to make a decision. If you decide that you need to be prayed for, and to find one of our shepherds. We are going to give you an opportunity to find one of our elders who will be around the room, in the back, or up front with me, and you can come find one of them. Maybe you need to decide today's the day to follow Jesus and to be baptized into Christ. We all have to make decisions, and I pray that you will prayerfully consider the decision that's ahead of you today. Let's stand and continue to sing.